0: experienced the power of the resurrection, and that your dead heart of stone has been transformed into a heart of flesh that now loves the Lord. As you heard in Caroline's testimony, she once despised and was bored by the things of the Lord, but when the Lord worked in her heart, now her desires had changed. The Christian, we see the world differently than everybody else. We see the world through lenses called the resurrection. Kind of makes me think of those calendars, maybe you've seen them, that have just these shapes that don't make any sense, but if you look at it almost behind it, if you cross your eyes just a little bit, you see like a tiger or something, I mean, it's not that cool, but you know, it's kind of, it's the same picture, but you look at it through a different focus. In the same way, we look at life through a different focus and and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we truly see the risen Savior, there's a real sense in which we see the world and we're brought in. As we look into the world that Christ has left us in, we are also brought into a new world, a new reality. That although the world may look at the same events, same circumstances that we do, they do not see what we see. They do not see the risen Savior. And I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And we're going to find ourselves in the 20th chapter. So if you're, if you're a guest here and you have a Bible, if you don't have one, just raise your hand and someone will run out to the Welcome Center and grab them one. That would be helpful. But if you want to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, it's in the New Testament. It's the fourth Gospel, Matthew, Mark. Luke and John, 20th chapter, and here, a few of the disciples are going to approach the tomb, an empty tomb. They're going to encounter the resurrection, but yet they they don't understand it yet. They don't realize what has occurred. And so, as we're going to look in this passage, we're going to see several characters who stand at the cusp of being introduced into a new world, a new realm, but are initially hindered. They're hindered due to their lack of understanding. And what don't they understand? If you've turned there already, look in verse 9 of John chapter 20. For as of yet they did not understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. They don't understand. They come to the tomb... They come to the grave site, but it doesn't mean everything that we, well, at, at least to their senses, they don't recognize what it truly means. Like what we recognize it to mean when we say the empty tomb. They don't have the resurrection yet as a category. But once this category is put into their mind, they see this whole event totally different. They see it as the power of God. Let's look here, beginning in verse 1. Now it was the first day of the week, and Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. It was a dark morning. She saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now let's just stop right there. When we read that, we say hallelujah, right? But look at what she does. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple to whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She didn't run out of joy. She's running out of panic. She comes, most likely early in the morning, to bring incense to help Mass the odor of the stench of a dead body. She's expecting to find Jesus, but she's not expecting to find the risen Jesus. When she comes, expecting to find a body, she finds an empty tomb. In fact, she has already jumped to such conclusions. She just sees the stone rolled away. She doesn't even bother to look in. She only can reach one conclusion. The body of the Lord has been stolen. See, that's totally different than how we look at it, right? Because she doesn't have the resurrection yet as a category. Her mind's blinded. Well, Peter and John are, at least at first, in no different state. Look in verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and that other disciple's John, who's writing this gospel... And they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together. And this, too, they're probably running to see. I, I don't know what they think they're going to get there faster and stop the grave robber or, or what, but they're running. And the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. But he did not go in. That's interesting. John runs there faster than Peter. He gets there, and it's as if he stops at the tomb. He looks in. He sees the linen, the wraps, no doubt bloody, laying there, but no body. He doesn't go in, maybe perplexed. What what does this mean? Why would someone take the body but leave the wraps? Like You want the wraps if you're going to carry, especially the body of a man who was just crucified. It wouldn't have been a clean body. Why are these linens there? Peter comes slowly behind and fitting with his character. What does he do? Verse 6, then Peter came following up and he went into the tomb. He doesn't even stop to look in. He just says, I'm going in there. He sees the same thing that John does, but a little bit more because he walked in. He saw the linen clothes lying there in verse 7, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen, but folded up in a place by itself. And kind of the idea here is is that laying there in the tomb were the linens in order. Because if you're going to take a body, you would have to unwrap them and it'd probably be a pile. And the face wrap, it too, would have been in the pile. But no, it's as if the body just floated through. Now what are they? yeah, resurrection. Peter doesn't click yet. So John, verse 8, who'd reached the tomb first, he also went in and, but notice this time, he sees the same thing Peter does, but he saw and believed something miraculous happened and it's it's as if John's painting a picture that he was a little bit more contemplative he wasn't as hasty to jump to conclusions he arrived first but he he peered in he began to look but he didn't go in yet processing what might this mean and he he comes in and he too sees the same thing that Peter does but he believes what's the big deal about these linens? We should be thinking, John chapter 11, when Lazarus was raised from the dead. And when Lazarus is raised out of that tomb, he's still in the linens. And I'm imagining a mummy kind of hopping out. Get me out of here. See, when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, he's still in the linens because he will go back to the linens. When Jesus comes out of the tomb, he leaves the linens behind because he will not need them anymore. And I don't know what exactly John saw, how his mind clicked in that moment, but something happened. He saw things differently. He believed. He believed. So in some mysterious fashion, John saw what Peter yet did not. John saw these linens, and it clicked. The Spirit of the Lord must have been already working in him, beginning in a unique fashion to open up his mind, to open up his eyes, that he may see and believe. But as we're going to look through the rest of this passage, we're going to encounter three different groups of characters. One in Mary Magdalene again, the rest of the disciples, and then we're going to look at Thomas. And as we look at each of these characters, we're going to see how they encounter the risen Jesus. And that their encounter actually is going to change everything. We're going to see that their distress is going to be turned to joy. Their fears are going to be transformed into boldness. And their doubts are going to be morphed into belief. Because they have seen the risen Savior. So as we look at this passage, we look in verses 11 through 31. I want to invite you. Place yourself in the character's shoes Think of their emotions that they're going through and and compare them with the emotions that you might be going through today. Because when we understand and come to know the risen Jesus, when, like John, we truly see and we begin to believe, brothers and sisters, you will be led into the realm of life. You'll see the world differently than the rest of the world does, and you will have hope. However, when we live without the knowledge of the risen Jesus, when we go out and we forget the resurrection, we, we live as if it's not a category, oh, our distresses, our fears, and our doubts will consume us. So I want us to see the resurrection transforms everything. And if you're not a Christian here today, maybe you're, you're a guest and, and you're coming or, or, or you thought, hey, I need to... Get in church, it's Easter. Who did you expect to meet today? Did you just expect to see a group of people celebrating something sweet and sentimental, or have you come to meet the risen Savior? Here's what I want to challenge you with this morning say, Lord, show me. Show me. I'm not here to talk about a a dead person that we think of, but Lord, show me yourself, the risen Savior, and put yourself like these disciples, and let him transform your life. We come here in verse 11 to Mary Magdalene. It's understandable in verse 11 we see that she stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, similar to John, but... She doesn't see the linen, she sees two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Their question, at first that would be odd of anyone at a at a funeral to, to come up to someone and say, Why are you weeping? Isn't it quite obvious? Because my loved one is dead. My loved one has passed. But what is extraordinary about this situation is that most of us, when we come into a funeral home, we don't see two angels standing there. And yet you're seeing this fact that the resurrection is so not in her mind that even when she sees two angels, she comes to the same conclusion that she did before she got Peter and John. What's her response? Well, this is why I'm weeping. They've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have laid him. She's weeping because of the curse. She's weeping because her Savior has died, but you know, pouring salt upon this wound, not only has he died, but now she's under the uh, assumption that someone has stolen his body. That's the only conclusion she can see. So she is mourning. She is under distress. She is overwhelmed. And as she is frantically wondering and not even picking up a clue, well, there's angelic beings in front of me. Notice what happens in verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and look, she sees Jesus. She turned around, verse 14, and saw Jesus standing, but notice she sees but doesn't see. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Again, why? Because she's not seeking the risen Savior. She doesn't have a category. It has blinded her to the reality that she doesn't have the resurrection in view. So she can't see clearly the events in front of her. And Jesus said to her, really the same thing the angels do. Woman, why are you weeping? But he adds another question. Whom are you seeking? And that's the question I want to ask each of you this morning. Whom are you seeking? Do you live your life as if Jesus is dead, like, you're, like Mary has come to the tomb? Your world is over because there is no resurrection? Whom have you come to seek this morning? Have you sought out the risen? Jesus. Mary's answer, supposing him to be the gardener, she asks, have you carried his body away? Which is kind of ironic in effect. Yes, I have. (laughs) Yes, I got it right here. (laughs) And tell me, where have you laid him? And I'll take him away. She doesn't understand curse is compounded here curse is saddening isn't it why do you weep when's the last time you wept that maybe you you laid your head down on your pillow at night and the tears began streaming maybe it's as you think of the death of a loved one the loss of a child a home a job a friend where has the curse taken its toll on your heart? When you just let go and the distress in the morning overcomes you. And where do you find hope? This is where Mary is at. But everything changes when she hears Jesus. How does she see him? She sees him when he speaks to her. Notice in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. At that moment she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher, she saw. She saw him for who he was. Her eyes were opened. now she's opened up to a new whole world. Do you hear him calling your name? Have you heard him call your name? Maybe as you reflect on your testimony and you think about how you once walked apart from the knowledge of the resurrection and how you lived life without this category. But you look back at maybe a moment, a season in your life and you say, I heard my name called. What does that mean? We'll we'll see that in just a little bit later when we get to Thomas. When she turns to Christ, she comes and obviously she clings upon him. She's overwhelmed with joy. Her weeping, her distress is turned to joy. But Jesus says something quite interesting. He says, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. What is going on here? Why doesn't Jesus want her to touch him? And I don't think it's so much that, hey, don't touch me. The thing is the idea, she's probably clinging on, oh, Jesus, and holding him tight. And she's thinking, oh, it's going to be how it once was, you walking the streets. uh, This is all a bad dream, it is all over in a sense that is true, but yet his relationship with her has changed. I'm going to ascend to the Father. And it reminds us in John chapter 14, when Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And when Jesus ascends, he has gone to prepare a place for us. A new creation, a new home where the curse is lifted. But there's a sense in which even now, we're going to see him a little bit differently. So he tells her to go be a preacher. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the risen Jesus. And She told him all the things that he had said to her. Brothers and sisters, Mary's distress was a result of the curse, but as Christians who have come to know the risen Savior, as we've already sung, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we still have trouble in this world, do we not? We just prayed for our beloved Brennan. We've just lost our beloved Jim. And Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we have the same troubles that the world faces, yet we can see them vastly different because of the resurrection. As the Apostle Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. The resurrection takes, takes our mourning, the effects of the curse. And now we have hope, we have joy, because we know that our fate follows his. This is why Jesus said earlier at Lazarus' resurrection, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I read that verse to Jim Calvert less than 24 hours before he went to see the Lord, and I said, you, do you believe this? He says, I do. I do. That's the power of the resurrection. A man who now is with his Savior, and he has eternal life, and though he died, he lived forever. And we see it. If you're a believer, you see it as the power of God. There's another element that we see here as the disciples encounter Jesus. Later that evening, apparently they yet don't believe, even though Mary has come to them. And on that evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, why? For fear of the Jews. Well, why would they be afraid? Well, because their leader just was crucified less than two days before. They've locked themselves up in the room. They're petrified. Fear is overwhelming them. The resurrected Jesus changes things, doesn't it? Notice what happened. They were locked up there, but Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, peace be with you. It's amazing here. Just as he transformed through the linen garments, so they have the doors locked, but now Jesus appears inside with them. And the first thing is they're trembling in their boots. He says, peace be to you. When he had said this, verse 20, he showed them his hands and his sides. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. All their fear is now transformed. We're going to see what it's being used for in just a moment. But it's not quite that they, they get What Jesus has done, and so Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. What Christ's death on the cross has done, it has defeated our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy, Satan's sin and death. Christ has brought peace to us. So that we can have hope in this world. As this world is literally crumbling apart from us, we can rest assured that we are at peace with God. And so Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And this interesting thing happens, verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Jesus is looking forward to the time in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit will come down upon them, and they will have power, they will have boldness, and they will proclaim the gospel to everyone. And he says, just as the Father has sent me with the good news of peace, peace I bring to you, it has been accomplished. Peace has been made. God and man have been reconciled because of the resurrection of my body, Jesus says. And he says that when you go out, you're going to be proclaiming this peace to everyone you come in contact with. And here's the reality and the weight of this message. That if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. What does that mean? It means when we proclaim the gospel to people... And we tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection, and they believe, and they see and they hear, their sins are washed away. But everyone who rejects this message, who does not see and does not hear, they remain in their sins. This changes everything. Disciples aren't going to have fear anymore. We we've been in the book of Acts. They go out and they begin proclaiming. They go out of the locked doors. So let me ask you what do you fear? Who do you fear? Economic uncertainty, sickness, death, ISIS, corrupt leadership. What do you fear? Here's what we know is the greatest enemy has been defeated on the cross. And so with the right of Hebrews, we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do you get the, the when we look at the world through the lens of the resurrection, there are no more locked doors. As we just saw in the video with Barry Rager, he brings his family into one of the most dangerous cities in Indianapolis, and they do not have fear, they bring cookies. With their children. Why don't we have to fear? Because God's in control of death itself. And if He can control death and overcome it, then whom shall we fear? I say, well, what if I die? So what? You'll rise again. Where is the sting of death? It's taken away. John says this to encourage the saints in Asia Minor, in the book of Revelation, and he tells them that they are to conquer the evil one by not loving their lives even unto death. That's exactly how Jesus conquered death and Satan. He died. You look at that with worldly eyes, you say, that's a failure. That's, that's heartache. That's, that's brokenness. But as we sang right before I got up here, it's the power of the cross. If you see it with the resurrection in view your fears are now transformed into boldness some of you are saying "There, yeah but I don't believe (laughs) or I doubt I I don't see this well you're not alone look in verse 24 now Thomas one of the twelve called the twin was not with them when Jesus came that's all of us right We were not with them when Jesus came, right? Maybe you've said this, and so you've heard about it. Maybe you're listening to me right now, and you're saying, I wasn't there. And here I am hearing you. Well, I'm not going to believe unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger on the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. That might be the case. Unless he shows up right here, I'm not going to buy into this Christianity deal. Think of Chris Tyler's testimony last Sunday. I'll watch this documentary on the Christian faith so I can just see how ridiculous it is, ridiculous it is. and all of a sudden he ends up having a Bible study, opening up the Scripture and believing. I won't believe. Unless I see some proof, that did that work for Mary? She saw Jesus, but thought he was the gardener. Peter and John, at first, when they came to the tomb, they saw the empty tomb, but it, it doesn't change yet. John did, but at first, it wasn't just seeing the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples, "I've seen the Lord." Yeah, sure you have. Lock the doors. Thomas' closest friends, the other ten, Judas is gone by now. Hey, we've seen him. He was here. Uh, yeah, right. Well, eight days later, verse 26 says, the disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Something you might not notice is that Jesus answers his question without Thomas having to ask it again. That means Jesus was there, and Thomas had no idea when he was saying, I won't believe it unless I see it. And I might be saying, Yeah, but he showed up. <laughs> Thomas does confess. He says, My Lord and my God. He gives the great confession. And Jesus says to them, have you believed because you've seen me? That's a question. Is that really what would make you believe? If you saw him? I mean, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And you know what the response of the Pharisees were? Let's kill this guy. Mary sees him at the tomb with two angels, but yet doesn't recognize. What changes? When she hears his voice. When he calls you. When he opens your eyes to see like John, who saw the same linens that Peter did, but something clicked. There's something supernatural that has to happen. So is it because you saw me, Thomas, that you really believed? No, it's because I've revealed myself to you. He says, blessed, this is Jesus, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I think, unfortunately, our Bible's put a little break here, but you should just keep going, and this isn't Jesus' words, but John giving some comments on it. It's the rest of the, kind of the purpose of all this. He says, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How do you hear him call your name? Open up the book. The resurrection change your doubt into belief. Just as Chris Tyler gave his testimony last week, I didn't plan that, but thank you for giving your testimony. I don't believe, but he opens the book and he hears You, if you're a believer at some point in your life, whether you were a young child when you came to faith or it was later in life, it might not have been a moment, but it might have been a season by which you were hearing the scriptures opened, and one day you heard. And when you truly heard, you truly saw. And when you truly saw, you truly believed. And the resurrection changed everything in your life. For me, I was sitting in my college dorm room. Girlfriend had broken up with me. My world was over. (laughs) Most people gained the freshman 15. I lost 15 pounds. I hadn't eaten in two weeks. I was failing out of my classes. All I had was this blue and purple teen Bible that I'd gotten at some point. I opened it up. I started reading the Gospel of Matthew. If you know how Matthew begins, it starts with genealogies. <laughs> but by the end, I'm weeping. And I heard my name. My eyes were opened. My life was changed. Many of you have the same story, just different events, Right? So my question is, who do you seek this morning? Brothers and sisters, if you're already a believer, let me encourage us. We don't live this world as if Jesus is still in the tomb. Yes, there will be trouble in this world, but take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I've taken everything it has. I've borne your sin. I've taken death to its fullest, and I am here to live another day. Not just one forever. And if you come after me, though you die, you you too will live. You too will live. If you don't know Christ, maybe your heart is hardened and you've been every point of this sermon. Nope, 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 nope. I won't believe it till I see it. Here's just one little piece of application for you. Start with the Gospel of John. And pray and say, I want to encounter the risen Jesus. And if you come with that heart and read, buckle up because your life is about to get turned upside down. And if you have questions about that after the service, I'm going to be right over here with my family, right under that screen. We're going to see a baptism which represents the power of the resurrection in Caroline's life. She's putting on the team jersey as we like to call it. I'm on team Jesus. We hope to see you giving your testimony one day and join this group of people whose life has been changed by the resurrection. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we know that there's nothing in us, any wisdom that we have accumulated, facts that we laid up on the table and we just figured out, oh, this is the right decision to follow Jesus. No, Lord, you met us in our mourning, in our fear, in our doubts. And, Lord, those of us who have believed you have called to yourself. And we thank you for not leaving us in the darkness outside the tomb. But, Lord, the morning star has risen. The sunbeam has shined. And the light of the gospel is shined in our hearts that we may believe. And we thank you. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who has a hard heart of stone. Lord, I'm not worried about them because I know that you have raised yourself from the dead and you can change their hard heart of stone. And I ask that you would do that right now. That you would melt down the hard And as you say, whoever wishes to come to me, I will give them rest. May they find rest this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.